you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 16 this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the epistle to the Corinthians. Now, a few weeks ago, while I was away in Louisville, Kentucky, for one of my course seminars, in an informal conversation between the professor and us students, we briefly discussed the work of a Hebrew scholar by the name of Robert Alter. Now, I don't expect you all to know who that is, and so don't think that, you know, that's someone that you even really need to know. But not long ago, Alter wrote a three-volume translation and brief commentary on the entire Old Testament. Like in, it was like 2019, he came out with this. Well, as others have said, including my former pastor, Dr. Herschel York, Alter's translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, it is a phenomenal translation from Hebrew into the English. And his translation is a real help. It, I mean, it does what the Old Testament does. If you know the Old Testament, it points us forward to see and even wonder at the glories of the one who will come. It points to the one who will come, Christ our Lord. Yet there's one surprising twist about altar. He does not know Christ. He's not a believer. And yet, he translates Isaiah 53, which you know and I know about the suffering servant, this way. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us strayed like sheep. Each turned his own way. And the Lord brought down upon him the crimes of us all. And of course, we know who that is, right? We know who that's pointing to, and we know specifically that that is talking about Jesus Christ. Now, I urge you and all of us to pray for Alter, that one day he would come to the Lord. But with Alter and others like him, we see that you can read Scripture that you can translate it even from the original languages and still be like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where Jesus, he said of Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Well, this morning, in many ways, Paul explores the difference between those who do not understand and do not see Christ for who he is and then those who do. For unbelievers versus believers. Even more, he calls for us as believers, those who know Christ, to live according to the wisdom of God, according to the word and the spirit as those who are to have and even have the mind of Christ. 
And so that's what he's calling us to in our verses here this morning. And so to see this, let's read here beginning with verse 6. May the Spirit of God illuminate his word this morning that we might understand it, receive it, and live according to it. So I'll begin there in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hind wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. Amen. So in these verses... Verses 10 through 16 are verses here this morning. Paul is further explaining what he said in verses 6 through 9. That's why I read the entirety of these verses. So he's doing that, but he's also explaining what he said back in verses 4 through 5 as well. So let me read that to refresh us on those verses. Expanding and expounding upon those in verses 6 through 16. So he says there in verse 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he said that in verses 4 through 5 to emphasize that he did not come, Paul didn't come preaching to the Corinthians to display himself. He wasn't wanting everyone to look at him and think, wow, look at you, Paul. I mean, your rhetoric and your oratory, incredible, right? That's not what he was coming, that's not the kind of gospel he was preaching. But he came to display Christ, to display the gospel, and to display the essential need for God and his power unto salvation. Not Paul, not me, not any preacher who stands up here, but God, by the power of the Spirit of God. 
Now, how vital it is that the preacher comes preaching not dependent on himself but on God Amen. and the Spirit of God. So it has been my constant prayer this week in that vein that the Lord would help me and grant me unction. If you've ever heard that word, unction essentially meaning spirit-empowered preaching of his word. Because I think as we come to these verses, I mean, Paul, he doesn't kind of bat an eye at getting complex for us. I mean, some of these things are difficult for us to understand and grapple with. So as you hear that this morning, don't think, oh, I need to walk away and like, you know, not pay attention. But think, God has given this word for us this morning. And then pray for me too, (laughs) that I would have unction and clarity as I preach to you these things. And so this is vital, the Spirit of God, because in verses 6 through 9, we talked about last week, if you were here, Paul, he distinguished, like, it is vital, this is vital, the Spirit of God is vital, because Paul there distinguished between the divine, divinely revealed gospel wisdom and how, apart from the Spirit of God, people do not see, people do not understand. And we saw that in verse 8, right? The rulers had Jesus standing right in front of them, and rather than bowing down before the Lord of glory, didn't see it. And they crucified him. The very one who had created everything, including them, they crucified. So as verse 9 emphasizes, perhaps maybe different than You're thinking, but right in line with what Paul is saying and means by quoting verse 9 and quoting Isaiah in verse 9. Their eyes did not see, their ears did not hear, and their hearts did not imagine. And so it is then that we come here to our verses here, 10 through 16, where Paul is contrasting those who do not understand with those who by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit of God, have believed the gospel and see glories. And so he comes to this overarching emphasis in verses 10 through 13 of the truth that if you are a believer, you have the Spirit of God in you. Incredible thought. You know, and if, I, if you and I really believe that, and we are too, I mean, it has far-reaching implications, doesn't it? Which is what Paul's point is. Is that if the Spirit of God is in you, you are to be different Corinthians. You're not to be the same as the world. And so that's the main point he's getting at in verses 10 through 13, but he has to do a few things before he gets there. And so to get at this point, Paul, he begins in verse 10 by honing in on the wonder of redemption that we saw last week. And he makes clear that the Spirit revealed the gospel to you. 
the Spirit revealed the gospel to you. So in contrast to those who did not believe, saw Jesus, the Lord of glory, and crucified him, they didn't understand the truths of the gospel. He writes in verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So in other words, you and I who know God through Christ and love him even now, we do that because of the Spirit of God. I mean, it's just right in line with everything else Paul has been saying. It would be right for us just at this point to back up and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, and just read that, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so do that right now, like boast in the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. And so our salvation, even our seeing of the truth and of the spiritual truths of, these, of the gospel is from the Spirit of God. So remember what Jesus said to Peter, right? In Matthew chapter 16, that David read a moment ago. So after Peter, he said in Matthew 16, 16, he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, what a statement. Amen. Amen. But you know, notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, Oh, Peter, wow, how perceptive you are, right? I mean, outstanding job. How did, you, how did you come to that conclusion? No, he did not say that, right? What did he say? Which is right in line with what Paul is saying here. Matthew 16, 17. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I mean, those words, as well as what Paul is saying here, that the Spirit is the one who has revealed the gospel to you. Just think about that for a second. I mean, what an intimate thought, right? How personal the triune God of all the universe is with us. He expressly revealed the gospel to you. Incredible. Thank you, Lord. Imperceptibly, upon God's calling you, came spirit wrought redemption, and you understood the gospel, you believed it, and you responded to it as a fruition of the Spirit's work within you. And that is absolutely incredible, and that is incredibly personal, right? He did that with you specifically out of love for you. And that's why you're sitting here right now. And that's incredibly personal. An incredible love of God on display, even just in that point for you, believer. You may not feel that way as you go out throughout your day, but see what God has done. He loves you. It doesn't matter what you feel. It's a fact. 
We will have ups and downs, but you can know with certainty God loves you, and he has demonstrated that through his son. So Paul, as he says all this, he expounds further on these things in verses 10b through 11, where we see the Spirit knows and reveals. The Spirit knows and reveals. And so Paul, he says here, the Spirit searches everything. Again, an incredible thought to ponder for a time. He searches everything. That means that he is everywhere present and he knows all things, or theologically the terms are he is omnipresent and omniscient. Everywhere present, all present, all places present, and all knowing. And so he knows a lot of things we don't know, right? I mean, wow, I mean, and I mean that massively. The amount of knowledge we don't know is incredible. Even though people think they're awfully smart in our day, right? I mean, he, the Spirit of God, the triune God, he knows the depths of the ocean. We don't even know what goes on down there. You know, we're still like, wonder what's going on down there. I wonder what it looks like. We, don't, we, we have an idea and we have all these different maps and such. But so much to learn, even just in earth, like here. And then you just go out from that, and he, he knows everything about the vastness of the universe. Everything. And then something we don't even necessarily think about. He knows everything about the microscopic elements that make up everything, which is almost a universe in and of itself. You know, I read this week somewhere that it would take 200,000 years to get to the end of our galaxy. At what speed? Going light speed. <laughs> 200,000 years. That's incredible, right? I mean, sure, we know some things about like our galaxy and, and stuff, but not even close to all the things that are there and all the things that we have to learn. And yet, right now, the Spirit of God is there. God is there, and He knows all that, everything that's going on, and more. Now, that's pretty incredible, just if we stop right there. The oceans, the vastness of the universe all the complexities of the microscopic elements that make up all things. But I said, he knows all that and more. The more being, verse 10, even the depths of God. That's the greater of the two. The minor is everything. The spirit searches everything. The major is even the depths of God. Now, we certainly don't know everything about God's creation. But then when you, like, zoom out and you think God himself, like, wow, how much do we not know? But the Spirit knows. You don't have that information. 
about God. No one does. Hence, we see the absolute need in Paul's point here for the Spirit of God to reveal God to us. And so Paul further illustrates this by comparing how you know your own thoughts while others don't, or the person over there, they know their thoughts while we don't really know what they're thinking. So, like, during this service, for example, you might look at someone and think, oh, whoa, they look like they're really focused, and, I mean, they're, they're really getting this. I mean, it looks like they're being moved by these things, you know? I mean, that facial expression they have, I bet they're really being moved by God and his word. And so maybe after the service, then you go and you go and ask them, and you're like, wow, I saw you during the service, and you just... You look like something was going on there, you know. Uh, what, can, would you mind telling me, you know, what were you thinking about? And then they just tell you, well, I was thinking about what we're going to eat for lunch later. You know? I mean, maybe you're doing that right now. You're thinking, come on, pastor. <laughs> I'm thinking about lunch. Right? And that's just the person sitting in this service, which could be true. I mean, they may be sitting there like this. But they're thinking, I wonder... You know, Bojangles, you know, um, you know, the Rosies, I don't know, you know, and they're just looking intent. And that's just the person here, right? I mean, you don't really know what they're thinking. I mean, you do, like you yourself do if you're that person, but we don't. And so if that's the case with them, the person near you, then even more so with God, right? The Spirit knows God and must reveal God to us. And this just points to the inadequacy of our day, right? With people searching for the truth, people trying to find meaning everywhere, even trying to create meaning for themselves, All the while, they're still dead, they're still lost, they're still left aimless and empty, and they don't know where to go. They need God. They need his revelation of himself. They need his word preached to them. They need the wisdom and power of God. That's what they need. Which is what part of what Paul's point is, right? He didn't come pointing to himself because what you need is God and you need his revelation of himself by the power of the Spirit of God. So having said all this, Paul, he turns to apply all of this to us, to believers. And he explains that now as those who are in Christ, for us as believers, the Spirit of God illuminates his word illuminates his revelation of himself. So by God's grace, we have been saved. The Spirit of God revealed the gospel to you. So that was by the Spirit's work. And now, if you are a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you at this very moment. And so he writes in verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world. So what spirit is that? That spirit 
self-seeking, idolatrous, living in rebellion against God, and living in rebellion against the wisdom of God. So we have not received that spirit. That's not to be what's indicative of you. And he's saying that to the Corinthians. Mindful of everything else that they are doing. (laughs) Right? And he's saying that to us. You have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So by the Spirit, we understand, we see the gospel, and we behold it and wonder, and we just glory in it, we rejoice in it. And then, because of the Spirit of God at work in us, we then begin bringing and applying its implications into everything in our lives, which is where Paul is heading with the Corinthians in the coming chapters. And so the Spirit teaches you, if you are learning and grasping these words from the word, the Spirit of God is doing that, illuminating, shedding light on the gospel, and shedding light on his word. Hence, Paul says in verse 13, we impart these words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, as you hear that, This is not mysticism 101 here. It's not time for us to go and begin basing our lives on whatever essentially fits our own fancy. You know? I mean, that's not what what Paul is saying. He's connecting the spirit to his revelation. The gospel, the word. He's connecting it to the spirit, the spirit and the word together. And so the spirit helps us He illuminates the word for us to understand it, to apply it, and to bring it to bear in our lives. So it's a gospel-centered, word-centered teaching Paul is giving here. So in this, we see the vital connection between the word and the spirit. We see the vital connection between the word and the spirit. And so the spirit of God works through his word and through the preaching of his word. And if you have an issue with that, that is God's own self-chosen means for his working in the world. It's not putting God in a box. God has declared that this would be the way it would be. It's the reason why we do 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, in season and out of season, right? Preach the word, Timothy. It's the reason I'm preaching right now. It's because this is not dependent on me. It must not be dependent on me. You must hear God's word. It's the reason why we teach God's word in Sunday school. We don't just sit in there, close our Bibles, and say, I have a few thoughts today. We teach the word of God. We read the word of God at home. We don't look at it as some, like, just like ritual, ritualistic, legalistic thing, but we get into it because we want to know God and know his word. 
and be changed in the reading of the word by the power of the Spirit of God as we do it. It's the reason why we memorize the word of God. And so you need the word in you. And this is so often where many, many people err. They emphasize the spirit where experiences and impressions become what? Authoritative. Yet, they're devoid of or even in contradiction to the word of God. I mean, if someone tells you, I have a piece about it, and it goes against God's word, they are living in sin. I don't know where that piece is coming from, except for perhaps a calloused heart, a hardened conscience. So be careful about what kind of peace you have, right? And so that's one side we need to be careful of, error. Or where we can err is they emphasize the word where it becomes more about filling your heads with knowledge and facts while your heart and your life, they remain empty and unmoved. You do realize if that is the case, the Spirit of God does not leave us like that. If the word is affecting you, it's the Spirit of God bringing it and applying it to your life. And so if it's just there lying empty in your mind and in your heart, then you need to change. You need to bring it to bear upon your life. And so we don't go either one of those directions. So contrary to those, we need to see the vital and essential connection of the word and the spirit inseparably connected. Experiences, impressions, it all. And so it is that we pray. As we come to God and come to his word, we pray and ask God to illuminate his word as we come to his word that we might always be changing, be growing, and be being transformed under the wisdom and power of God. And you may be thinking, all right, Paul, where's the application here? All of this is application for us. It's application for you right now as you're hearing the word of God preached. It is application as you read the Bible anytime you read the Bible. And so I hope that that's your prayer right now. Asking God to illuminate his word. It's your prayer as you go into the Lord's day. Lord, you do want me to understand and to see these things. You want me to come under your word, ready to take it up and to eat it, to get it in me, to get it in my heart, to get it in my head to get it in my life and to get it into everything I do. That's to be our prayer. 
And I hope that's your prayer, as you're hearing these words of God from Paul in 1 Corinthians. So having seen this, we see Paul's next point here in verses 14 through 16. Mindful of the Spirit in us. And so as believers, you and I are to have the mind of Christ. You and I are to have the mind of Christ. And this is where Paul is directing the Corinthians. This is what he's calling them to be. And he's calling you and me and all of us to this. And so he first explains here why people don't get it. He explains the unbeliever for us, the Robert Alters of the world. And so he explains the natural, spiritless person. The spiritless person. Now, just see there on the screen, or if you were looking down, that I did not say spirit lowercase s, a vital important point, but spirit uppercase s. The natural person in verse 14 is an unbeliever. They don't have the Spirit of God. They might cognitively understand, but ultimately, as Paul says here, they don't believe and they don't accept the things of the Spirit of God and they see them as foolishness. And so within their spiritually dead state, they only live and they choose And they do according to that dead spiritual nature. Which is what every single one of us was born into the world with. A spiritually dead nature. And it might be that right now, that's you. You are spiritually dead. You hear this sermon... And there's no faith. There's no belief. There's no life change. There's nothing going on. Only more world, more self-seeking. And so God is calling you out to hear the gospel call, to see that Christ has come to save sinners, to save you. And so hear that call this morning. Now, as, we, as you go out into your jobs and as you go out into the world, who practically falls into this category? Well, I could go through the various religions of the world, but ultimately, it's simply those who don't know Christ. It's someone who looks at the Bible and reads it and shrugs and says, well, that's an interesting artifact of history. But other than that, oh, well. That's the natural person. They do not have the Spirit of God. They do not know God. And I would imagine that's the majority of the people you know. So in contrast to those, the natural, spirit-less person, we have the spiritual, spirit-indwelled person. The spiritual, spirit-indwelled person. So who are these? Believers. Those who have the Spirit of God in them. And as believers, 
As Paul says here in verse 15, we judge all things. Now, Paul, as he says that, he isn't, he isn't saying that we have a right then to go around you know, treating people like dirt, right? Well, guess what I just read in 1 Corinthians, that I can judge all things, you know? So you better get out of my way, because I'm going to be judging you, you know? I mean, that's not, that's not what he means by this here. He's not saying that you're the boss. Rather, under the word and the spirit, we are to sift through everything the world sets before us. We are to judge everything under the word of God and the spirit of God. We aren't to go through the world passively. And I I want you to hear me on this because... I think for us as believers, many of us are either being tempted to go through it passively or are going through it passively. That means that when you watch a movie, you don't just say, this is great entertainment. Now, I love movies. You know that. I watch a bunch of movies. But when you watch a movie, what do you do? You consider it through the lens of God's word. When you read a book, what do you do? You consider it through the lens of God's word, no matter who wrote it. Or if and when you go to college, you consider the various things that you're being taught through the lens of God's word, no matter what they are saying. It can be math, and you are looking at it through the lens of God's word. They may have a bachelor's. They may have a PhD. I don't care. We are to go into college, Christian, non-Christian, whatever it is, and we look at everything actively through the lens of God's word. That's what this means. That's what you are to do in every single area of your life. As you look at space, as you look at science, as you look at everything. And so he's saying... Under the word and the spirit, you are to live in the world. You're to have the mind of Christ, even as you have the mind of Christ by the spirit of God. So how do we get that? How do we get the mind of Christ? Through the word and the spirit. (laughs) And as we bring it to bear upon our beliefs, upon our affections, upon our lives, were to be different from the world. This is part of God's plan for you, believer, for his church, that you would be a holy people in the midst of an unholy world. So very practically, how are we to do this? Well, since it's Pride Month, Not that we call it that. The world calls it that. And you could just fit that under the category of the spirit of the world. But since our culture is aiming to reorient everyone under the sexual revolution, how do we navigate the cultural upheaval of our day in view of what Paul is saying here? 
Well, recently, I came across a CNN, art a CNN article. It was written back in 2016, and it said this of gender and of gender dysphoria. So it says, for some people, gender is not just about being male or female. In fact, how one identifies can change every day or, every, or even every few hours. That's gender fluidity. Let's read it again. For some people, gender is not about being male or female. In fact, how one identifies can change every day or even every few hours. So as spiritual people, those living under the word in the spirit of God, how should we think about that sentence? Well, our first response needs to be grief, sadness, brokenness, and certainly compassion. That real people are struggling with these things. We look at that and we know and we see it through the lens of God's word. The effects of the fall are terrible. That's what we see. They're confusing and ultimately leave us hopeless and lost. Just like you were, right? Yet we don't just go along with the world in this either. We feel compassion and brokenness and sadness, but we don't go with the world. Now, let me just say to you, if you're tempted to do that, if you've seen people do that, that you know, I just want to tell you that is not merciful, friends. That's not compassionate. That's not kind. And it's not loving for you to put on Facebook and say, I support Pride Month or any of those things. It's just the opposite. It's absolutely showing people no mercy, no kindness, and no love whatsoever. And so we're to look through the lens of the word and sift through this. That person seeing the greater need. People are lost and desperately in need of Christ. Amen. That's what we see in that sentence. You don't see, well, all right, then there, there must be some way that this is okay. What we see, and when we see that, we need to think this is, a, this is an outcome and something that came about because of the fall. They're searching and they are wrestling with sinful hearts and desires because they are lost, just like I was, just like you were, and just like all of us were. And as believers, being honest, we still wrestle with sinful desires. As in, you may struggle with these exact words, become a Christian, and still struggle with them for the rest of your life. Because we are broken. But Christ is making all things new. Amen. And one day it will all be new. And so we wait in hope in view of that day. And so we need to go and love them. That's what you're to do. 
and them meaning LGBTQ, them meaning every single person around you, whatever they're doing. You need to go and love them, tell them your story, go and share the gospel with them. The answer is not to join them, but to be what you are and to take up the mind of Christ and to share the good news that you yourself are a sinner and you were once lost and in need of a savior, but now by God's grace you have been found and you know the savior of the world and you want them to know him too. Amen. That's how you're to respond to your coworkers and to the world. Not saying I'm not going to be different, saying God bought me and saved me to be different from the world. And so, yes, the world will speak against us and speak against you, and it does. That's what Paul says here, right? The spiritual person judges all things, verse 15, but is himself to be judged by no one. As the world is judging you, as it does that, the world, what Paul is saying, he's saying the world is not our judge. God is. And so we live under the word, even as his word, it teaches us, right? And it reproves us and it corrects us and it trains us for righteousness. So we don't come as though like, hey, look at me. I'm perfect. You're not. Come this way. We say, I'm a sinner. Christ is a savior. Come join us and be saved through him. And so brothers and sisters, see all God is calling you to do and to be. In our lost world, God created you in Christ Jesus to be different. To be like Christ in the world. Yes, you have your job. Yes, you have your education. Yes, you have your house. Yes, you have your family. Yes, you have your ambitions. But see what you are being called to live by and live according to. You're being called to live by and according to Christ. And so do that. That's Paul's point. Live under and according to the word and the spirit so that you might have the mind of Christ. So hear the words of God today and go live according to the wisdom and power of God. Let's pray.